0: My iPad went to sleep, so I have to wake it up. So here we go. There it is. Okay. There's my notes. <sighs> this morning, um, as we're here, I don't want just, uh, just to extend our prayer time just a moment here. Uh, this morning, we have uh, about 60 of our junior hires, or I guess you call them junior hires, middle schoolers, whatever we call them now, 6th, 7th, and 8th graders that are up at Miracle Camp uh, along with a number of uh, volunteers. Uh, they left, left on Friday, and they'll be back this afternoon. But I know kind of the schedule, and I know this morning is their last time together in worship there, and um, there's always, it's always incredible uh, what God does in a setting when you can get away from everything, and you don't have all the distractions <laughs> of life, and so, and it's, and it's even more amazing in junior hires that it happens, uh, that God can, you know, from all the stuff and all the craziness, and they have great time and they have fun, but but God always does work in their lives, and so, uh, um and just to be honest with you, that's one of the reasons we always schedule baptisms the week after camps and stuff like that, because we know that sometimes God works on kids' lives and and um, we'll change some of those. And so we don't know. So let's let's be in prayer for this morning uh, for those uh, those kids that went up there. They're leaders, and also as their their journey back, uh, uh, they're on a big bus and you know everything. So not too concerned about that, other than the fact of other drivers on the road. But uh, let's just pray for them this morning before we uh, look at God's word. God, I thank you so much for your love and what you do in the lives of, of of people, that we can trust in you, God, that we can come before you and we can just lift our, we can cry out to you, God, in a sense, and ask you, God, to come into our lives and to rescue us from all the stuff in life that we encounter along the way. I pray this morning specifically for those students that, have, that are up at camp, not only our students, but probably there's probably around 300 students, 300 plus students that are up at camp this weekend from other churches all around uh, the Midwest that are uh, worshiping together, get to know each other, but also being encountered, God, uh, with the truth of the gospel. And I, so I pray for the person that's speaking this morning there. I don't know who it is, but we pray for that, for the musicians that are doing their their uh, their leading worship there, all the different things. I pray, God, that for our leaders that are committed to this ministry of week after week, coming on Wednesday nights and, and meeting with up to 100 people, uh, recently a hundred junior hires who are uh, have a lot of fun but also are encountered with your truth god each week and so we pray that you would just bless this time for them and may it be a time where it uh, makes a spark in them god that allows them to take their their next step with you whatever that may be we just ask these things in jesus name amen today we start a whole new series Uh, for the next six weeks we're going to be looking at the topic how to get through what you're going through and um, you know I don't know about you guys uh, you know I speak to you and I hope maybe that's enough I don't know Uh, maybe that's all you need every week but I always need to be filled myself you know Uh, and so one of the things that I do on a regular basis I have four or five pastors uh, across the United States that I listen to on a regular basis um, not every one of them every week, but I listen to at least a couple every week. Uh, people like Andy Stanley, who's a pastor at uh, North Point Community Church in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, uh, Perry Nobles, who's pastor of a, of a huge church, New Song, uh, New Spring, excuse me, New Spring Church. It's in South Carolina. Uh, and, but one of the guys that I've listened to on and off for over the years is Rick Warren. Uh, you may be f- familiar with who Rick Warren is, uh, probably the, the most influential pastor in all of America. Uh, a huge church uh, in Saddleback Valley, California uh, Runs about this, this morning And last night, this morning, this weekend They'll have 25,000 people there for worship And uh, he also wrote the book The Purpose Driven Life Which has sold more book, more copies of that book Than almost any book in history Other than the Bible And so um, it had a huge influence And so I've listened to him over the years And he started that church you know, About 25 years ago With, uh, with a small group uh, and now today it's reaching thousands of people all across the world, but something tragic happened in his life and his family's life back in April. Uh, he has grown children. He's about my age and he has grown children. And, and one of the things that happened is one of his son, one of his children, Matthew, um, is a, is a young man who all of his life, the 27 years of his life, uh, uh had mental illness and they'd gone through everything possible. And, and last April he, uh, committed suicide and, uh, in the midst of all of that, being a pastor of this huge church and all the things that are going on, uh, Rick Warren, then and his wife Kay and his family went through this crisis and and you know and, and no and rightfully so took off several months from from the ministry and then came back in August and, and did a series and his very first sermon back uh, it was called how how I'm getting through and he's began to share and it began extended into a seven week series. Uh, where he shared about the things that God had taught him personally, not only from his word, from his personal experience, about how to get through what you're going through. And so uh, I shared with you that back in uh, on November 24th, um, the weekend after the tornado happened here and all the devastation and everything that had gone on, I-, I felt like I needed to change up a little bit what I was doing that week. And so that week I'd actually listened just the week before. I'd listened to that first message from Rick Warren, I think it was God's timing, and I took and from that, uh, gathered some truths that I shared with you back then, if you were here, and on that, on that time, and then several people came to me and said, I'd like to know more about that, how can we, so I decided to do the whole series, and so uh, our small groups, uh, many of our, all of our small group leaders have resources that go along with this if you decide to do that as well, um, to, to follow along with this message series for the next six weeks. But uh, I want to share with you uh, some of the things that came out of comes out of God's word, some of the things that I've learned, and some of, the, and particularly some of the things that Rick Warren shared uh, through that message series. You know, a couple of weeks ago when we were off on Sunday, I don't know what you did on that Sunday, but I actually listened to a whole ser- I listened to six sermons twice. Okay, you're going like you're nuts. Well, there wasn't much else to do when you're in the house by yourself and and it's cold outside, and the snow's blowing and stuff like that, except for shoveling snow. So I go shovel snow a little bit, come back inside and listen to stuff, shovel snow a little bit more, do that. That was my uh, thing a couple of weeks ago. So, um, so I just want to share from that, and over the next six weeks, I want to share with you uh, some things that I've... I've uh, these aren't new things, but they're things that are important for us to understand. And the first one is this, and is the most influential events of your life you probably didn't see coming. The things that impacted your life the greatest, you probably didn't see coming, and they're things that aren't necessarily always good things. There are things that hit you in your life, and and it and allowed you to, and you had to go through them. You couldn't go around them. Uh, we all go through losses in life. Do you realize that? You know, some of us are losing our hair. <laughs> One of the young guys that are at church this morning, he's got a shaved head. And he had a stocking cap on. I says he pulled it off. and I said, "I'm glad I didn't mess up your hair this morning." So uh, you know. So I mean, the deal. Some of us are lose. Some of us, uh, you know, you know, some of us will like to lose some stuff, like weight. You know, we're losing stuff all the time. We're you know, you're getting older. You're getting harder. It's harder to do certain things in your life. You're going like, "Well, I'm too young for that." Well, it'll happen if it's not happening already, right? But the reality is, is that. We all go through losses in life, and, and one of the things that's true, and I found this to be true in ministry and true in life, is all of us go through, th- when we have really big losses in life, we all go through similar stages in our life that enables, that, that really affects us in different ways, and, and over the next six weeks, we're going to talk about these, uh, these six stages. The first one is the stage called shock, that when something happens that's traumatic, we're in a state of shock. And then the next stage is called sorrow. That's when we begin to just it, just, it just overwhelms us. And we go through the time of sorrow. And the third stage is struggle. And we go through struggle. And struggle is where we ask all the why questions. We're going to talk about that in three, two, two more weeks from now. And then following that, hopefully we get past those three stages. The stage of shock, sorrow, and struggle. And we get to a place, and if you're a believer in Christ, the place where you'd hopefully get to next is a place called surrender. And we're going to talk about why it's so important to get to that stage of life where we surrender to God and may not have all our questions answered. But we say, God, I trust you anyway. And we come to surrender. And then following that, we come to a big Bible word. I don't know how else to call this. What this next stage is called sanctification. And sanctification is, is basically where God takes the hurt and begins to do something in our lives to make good out of it. And then finally, we get to the place where God takes this, where we started with shock and all these other things, and we get to the place of service where actually God takes the thing that if we allow him to, that was this devastating thing in our life, and it turns it around where he actually, we can actually, God, we can serve others that are going through similar situations. So we're going to talk about all these stages, one stage a week for the next uh, stage, uh, next several weeks. Now, the reality is, is the world is broken. Would you agree with me with that? The world is broken. The reason the world is broken is because we have a choice. God gave us a choice, and that choice is that we can choose to either follow Him or we can choose not to follow Him. And so when we get together, and, and, and all of us make bad choices in our life not to follow Him, and so all those choices together means that everything in the world is broken. Everything in the world. None of it is, is what God intended it for, for it to be. And it all started back all the way back in the garden, and we've seen the results of that. Matter of fact, in the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes, it says this, it says, people can never predict when hard times might come. Like fish in a net or birds in a snare, people are often caught by sudden tragedy. People are often caught by sudden tragedy. And the first reaction every time when we have a sudden tragedy, when we didn't see it coming, is shock. It's mentioned throughout Scripture. Script, scripture is, is real. It's about real people that encounter real things. Everybody in Scripture is not, doesn't, do not, does not live perfect lives. If you've discovered that. If you've read Scripture for more than five minutes, you discover that people in Scripture aren't perfect people. Just Jesus. Everybody else is imperfect. But the first reaction to people is shocking. Let me give you some examples. In Jeremiah, this is what Jeremiah says. He says, a horrible and shocking thing has happened. Jeremiah was one of God's prophets. In Ezekiel, another prophet, he said, I sat for seven days, shocked at what had happened to me. Isaiah, another prophet, says, I'm in terrible pain, I'm shocked, and I hurt so much that I can't hear or see. You ever been there? My head is spinning. Early evening, my favorite time, maybe that's what he watched TV, I don't know. Um, my Early evening, my favorite time has become a nightmare. And then David, David, King David, he says this, I am in total darkness like someone long dead. My heart is heavy and I feel numb all over. Doesn't that describe shock? That's the way shock is. We, we get to a place when something happens and we go in this devastating place uh, where something happens and we don't know how to respond to it. Now, this morning I want to share that this message is for everybody here. Because you're in one of three places this morning, okay? Everybody here is in one of three places. You either know someone who is going through a crisis, you personally are in a crisis, or you're headed into a crisis, you don't even know it's going to happen, and you may not be prepared for it. So I want to address all three things this morning, all three issues. First of all, I want to talk about how to help a friend in shock. When a person is going through shock, something devastating is happening to them, what do you do? And I want to tell you the stuff I'm going to share with you this morning, everybody can do. It is not like brain surgery or anything. If it was, you'd be in trouble because I don't know how to do that. But this is really simple stuff. But let me tell you, it's important stuff. Uh, God commands us, you know that God commands us to carry each other's burdens? He commands us, he says that it's not optional. We're to carry each other's burdens. We can't just kind of be lone ranger Christians and do our own thing. Galatians 6, two says, by helping each other with your troubles, you truly obey the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? Great commandment, love God, love people. That's, that's the law of Christ. Love God, love people. And it says, so as we're commanded to carry each other's burdens, to lift each other up. And so let me share with you just, just, just really quickly this morning, three things that we can do, three or four things that we can do to help a friend who is in shock. Who's going through a catastrophe? Number one, and you have an outline this morning. You can fill in the blanks. I gave you all the places to fill in. So if you don't, if you want to, if you want to take notes, you got all these, and you can take them home. If not, you can go on the podcast and listen. If you're going like, I wish I could remember point two. You know, this is so hard. So anyway, you have an outline. I'm gonna give you an outline every week that's gonna be filled in. You can go home. You can remember this stuff, and i give you all the scriptures and stuff as well. Number one, how to help a friend in need: show up. Show up. If you have a friend in need, don't wait on the sidelines for an invitation. And let me tell you why often we do that. I've heard this a thousand times. I don't know what to say. You ever, ever, ever said that? I don't, I, don't know what I, I don't know what to say, so I can't just show up. Well, let me give you some good news. You don't need to say anything. When somebody is in shock, they don't need words. They need touch. They need you to be there with them in their presence. It's called the ministry of presence. It's this being there. How many of you can do that? You can just show up and not say anything? Now, I know for some of you that's really hard. Well, for me, that's really hard. Because we think we have to be the answer people, right? Right? Let me explain something to you. In the midst of a struggle in life, when you're devastated and things happen in your life, what, do, do words, do explanations make things better? No. The reality is that people are still going through tough times. And remember back in the Old Testament in the book of Job? Job had gone through all his devastation. And in Job 2.11, it says, this is what happens. He says, when Job's three friends, they heard about... All the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and they met together by agreement to go and to sympathize with him and to comfort him. The first thing they did as friends is they said, we got to show up. We got to be there. See, when you're in deep pain, you don't need words. You need touch. A touch on the shoulder, a hug, whatever it may be. And folks, I cannot tell you how many times I've been to people's homes or been with them in a hospital or been there and and said little or nothing, and they'll come and say, Pastor, thanks so much for what you've done. And I didn't give them any advice at all. I was just there. And you've been through the same thing. So the first thing we're to do if somebody is helping a friend in shock is to show up. Number two is we need to share their pain. We need to share their pain. In Job 2 also, it says this, this is what Job's friends did. It says, Job's friends saw him from a distance, and they began to weep aloud, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. Now, don't do that, okay? Because that will be really weird if you tear your robes. First of all, you don't wear robes, and you sprinkle dust. That's a Middle Eastern custom that was done, and the reason that was done is because that means when they did that, that means, hey, guys, we share your pain. That was that was just done in that culture. Don't take it literally here and go out and do that kind of thing, okay? Just kind of be a warning. People will think you're totally weird if you, you know, do that kind of thing. But the thing is, they they saw him from a distance, they began to weep aloud, they shared their pain. And then this is this is what is interesting here. Remember about not speaking? Just showing up, it says this. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him. Because they saw how great his suffering was. How many of you could sit for how many of you could sit for one day with somebody and not say a word? Because we think in our culture that we have to have the answer, folks. If if something were to happen to my wife today, and she was and something was horrible, and I knew it, and it was explained to me why it happened, would that make the pain be any less? No. The reality is, is that we need to share their pain just by being there and connecting with them and staying there. Uh, The Bible says, weep with those who weep. See, in this first phase, when people are in shock, they don't need a lot of words. The first thing you need to do is not give them the answers because answers do not help. And let me give you a little advice. This is what I learned from Rick Warren. I thought all, after all these years of ministry, 30 years of ministry, I would have known this already, but he puts it in great words. He says, the greater the grief, the fewer the words that are needed. The greater the grief, the fewer the words that are needed when you initially contact somebody who's going through shock. And another thing we have to remember is sometimes I've had people, you know, i gone to people and, you know, I connect with a person. You've got to remember the whole family's in shock too. It's not just that one person you know everybody's in shock, and so we have to include them. Share, share their pain. The third thing we have to do in regard to helping a friend who's in need is not only do we need to show up and share their pain, but we need to take the initiative. We need to take the initiative. Um, Proverbs 3.27 says this. It says, whenever you possibly can, do good to those who need it. Whenever you possibly can, do good to those who need it? Now, this is an incredibly helpful part here, okay? Because I know and I've said these things I'm getting ready to tell you not to say, and you've said the things I'm getting ready to tell you not to say, okay? Because when we show up, we don't know what to say, and so what we say things is this. We'll say things like, call me if you need anything. Or, how can I help? You know those are not good things to say when a person's in shock? You know why? You know why? Because it forces them to think. I cannot tell you right after, right after the tornado, I went to some friends sitting out here this morning and, at some friend's house and a bunch of people's in the church and, and one of the things we asked was, how can I help you? And they're going like, I don't know. I'm in shock. I don't know. All it does is cause us more problems in their life. They're sitting to sit there. They're numb. When people are in shock, they're numb. They don't know how to make a, do anything. They're paralyzed. What you need to do instead of doing that is you need to take the initiative and you need to say simply this. It says, I am here, and give them some options. I, I would like to bring you dinner on Thursday or Friday. Which one? So the only thing they have to do is make a choice. They don't have to think. They just have to make a choice. Or can I go to the store for you? Or can I pray for you right now? Or can I, that's not, that's just simple choices. We have to take the initiative to a friend in shop because that'll help them. And we're, t- we're doing something, we're saying, I'm not just going to kind of gloss over this and say, God, oh, you, know, you know, how can I help? And then they have to sit there and think, and they're not going to think, they're, they're, they're in shock. See, some some people are barely hanging on during that time and they're, and, they're, and they're going through the motions and so the thing is, is we have to take the initiative and help them even things that if we see something that they need and know something, I mean empty their trash, that mow their grass, shovel their snow, whatever time of year it is you know, do whatever it needs to be done don't just say, okay, how can I help you? Do you understand why that's important at this stage? if you really, really, really want to help somebody, a friend who's in shock and something devastating has happened to them, show up, share their pain, take the initiative. Simple enough, right? You can all do that if we choose to. Now, what do you do if you're the person who's going through a catastrophe? What do you do What do you do? Let me give you just two points this morning. Just two things you can do if you're a person who's going through a catastrophe in your own life. I I could give you this whole long list of things, but I just think if you're going through something, you don't need a whole long list of things. You just need a couple of simple things that you can do. Number one, cry out to God. Cry out to God. The Bible tells us in Psalm 50, verse 15, it says, call to me in your day of trouble, and I shall rescue you and you will honor me. You know what that says? That the most honoring thing we can do for God, or one of the most honoring things we can do for God, is to call out to Him. To say, God, I need you. And you're going like, well, I don't know exactly what to say. Well, it doesn't matter because it says in Scripture that the Holy Spirit knows in our life, you know, He, he intercedes for us. And even in our grumbling, God could, God could read our minds. Unlike Our spouse. God can do that. And he knows what's on our hearts. He knows what's on our minds. And the thing is, if you're going through a catastrophe, the first thing is to cry out to God. I cannot tell you how many times in life when I've gone through devastating times in my life and there's been ups and downs. I'm not having anything horrible. But I've had some, we've had some tough things. And sometimes when I, my first cry out to God is going, Why, God? You ever done that? Why now? God's a big God. He can take, take it, you know. You're not dishonoring God. At least you're crying out to him. And the thing we have to understand is that God calls us. He wants us to call, uh, cry out to him in our time of need. Not only, not just when good times are going on, but in bad times as well. In Lamentations, Lamentations is a really cool. Lamentations means kind of like crying out to God. That's what the word actually almost means. In Lamentations chapter 2, verse 19, it says this. Get up, cry out in the night, cry out all through the night, Pour out your heart like water in prayer to the Lord. Lift up your hands in prayer to him. In shock, you may not know exactly what to do other than just simply do the things that will allow you to connect with God. And all of us are different. I love music. And so some of the times when I'm going through tough times, I, I just listen to music. I listen to worship music and praise music and all kind of stuff like that. It just, it, just, it just calms my spirit and it kind of connects me with God. It makes me think about God. Another thing that does that is I like to go out in nature. Now, I don't like it in the winter, okay? Around here, at least, you know? But man, when I used to live, I, you, I, one of the things that I loved when I lived on, on the East Coast and I, and I lived in Roanoke, Virginia, and in the Appalachian Mountains, and the Appalachian Trail was 15 minutes from my house, every time I, was, I, I needed to connect with God, I needed to cry out to God, I'd go out and hike in the mountains. Now, for me, that was something that helped me connect with God, to cry out to God. And so it allowed me. Whatever it takes for you to connect with God, God wants you to do that when you're going through a catastrophe. That's the first thing. But the second thing is just as important. The second thing is this. We need to let others help. When you're going through a catastrophe, you need to let others help you. (laughs) For some strange reason... We are the opposite of that as people. We want to shut down. You know, if, if you just got... Uh, 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 the, something horrible happens to you, the first thought for many people is don't tell anybody. You know, if you just got um, something happening in your life, and you just don't want to be around people. But the thing is, you need to let others help. And you need to be easy on yourself because during this time, you're not going to make very good decisions when you're in shock. And so I just challenge you to do this. Don't make any major decisions when you're in shock because they'll usually be the wrong ones. Accept assistance. You know, let people do stuff for you. When everybody in the church here, now that they know that they're supposed to go out and take the initiative and do specific things, they do that to you, say yes. If they want to do something for you. Proverbs seventeen seventeen says this, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. See, our natural Our natural reaction is to withdraw into isolation when you have a devastating thing going on in your life. I cannot tell you how many people do that. But the thing is that you need to do the opposite. You need help. You need people. So if you're going through a crisis right now and you need help, you may need professional help. Some of us are too proud to say, hey, I need to go counseling. I need to have somebody in my life uh, who would help me through this time to help me to know how to function and get beyond where I am and the church is here for you the church is here for you uh, matter of fact in your bulletin this morning if you if you haven't pulled it out and looked at it yet there's a there's a little flyer did i bring a bulletin up here i thought i did but i did must not have anyway um there's a little flyer and in the flyer it says this it's talking about a new counseling thank you let me just bar you bar that for a moment okay thank you um it's called, It says care ministry, personal, pastoral care for the struggles of life. We have been blessed here at Great Oaks that we have people in the church with all kinds of gifts and abilities who, who want to serve God in numerous ways. But one part- particular person is a guy named Dan Haney. And Dan Haney, some of you may know, some of you may not know, but Dan, uh, for many years, was a counselor. He worked in, uh, in a women's halfway house, who, women who were coming out of prison, who were getting back into the, into the, into the world, and, they, and all of them had issues and problems. And so for many years he worked there. Now he's a chaplain, a full-time chaplain at OSF. And Dan recently came to me and he said, Bill, I'd love to, to extend some free services in the life of, your, uh, in the life of Great Oaks and I want to give, offer some counseling for people. So let me share with you today, if you're in a place in your life and you're stuck in some place in your life and you need some, some good advice, this is not going to be long term, but at least some short term help in your life. Dan is willing, he's a professional counselor who's willing to meet with you and to connect with you and to help you through whatever it is. Our staff will do the same. I meet with people short term as well. So was Chris, Dan, Nate, all of us do that as well. And there's other people in the life of the church who are willing to do that as well. So the thing is, you know, let other people help. Let other people help. So if you're going through a crisis, cry out to God, let other people help you. Let me tell you, if you don't do those two things, you may not get through it very well. You may be stuck there. Now, the third thing I told you about is this. I mean, I don't know about how many of you have, I know now it's not cool nowadays, for young people to watch, thank you. If, if you're over thir- 40, you probably still have a watch on, okay? Some of your watches on the back, if you're under 40, it's kind of questionable why well, you have a watch. Now it's, you carry a cell phone with you and you look. I just think that's hugely inconvenient, especially if you sit on your cell phone and break it, you know? Then you won't know what time it is, and all the world will end, right? No, the reality is, okay, I have a watch, and I looked on the back, and my watch on the back says something. Yours may say the same thing. It may say shock-resistant, right? You've seen that on the back of a watch. You know what that means? If I do something dumb and throw it on the floor, maybe it'll work. Maybe it won't. Okay? Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. I don't know. We'll see. But it's supposed to help you to be more resistant to the shocks that happen with the watch. Now, what I want to end up with today is talk about how do you improve your resistance to shock when shock comes in your life? And can you do that? Yes, you can. Yes, you you can't stop the stuff in life, the disasters from happening, but you can improve your shock resistance. And let me just give you two quick things that will help you to do that. And we've already talked about one of them, but I'm going to talk about it even more in detail. Number one, if you want to improve your shock resistance, cultivate strong relationships. Cultivate strong relationships. See, God never intended for you to go through life on your own. We were made to be people who were in community, that we were created to have connections with other people. He created a spiritual family. And let me spl- explain something to you. All of us have physical families. And as our families grow up, what happens is that some of them, you know, our parents are aging, and guess what happens? This is not being, being, you know, bad. It's natural. They die, right? As our kids grow up, they may move away like our kids have. And so the connections aren't there, you know, we we don't all live in the Walton's world. If you're over 40, you don't have under 40, you don't have a clue what I'm talking about. But anyway, you know, on Walton's Mountain, Grandpa and Grandma, everybody lives in the same house, you know. We just don't live in that world anymore, right? We don't do that. Some of you're going like, "I think I remember the Waltons." I don't know. Anyway, But God created not only a physical family, He created for us a spiritual family. And guess what? Your spiritual family will outlast your physical family because it's always evolving and emerging. I mean, when I was in Virginia, I had a spiritual family there. I had a small group of people who I lived life with. Man, and it was like I never would have put those people together in a million years. And here at Great Oaks, I have the same deal in this community. And here as well, I have this spiritual family and your, and your spiritual family will outlast your physical family. but let me explain something to you. The best time to create a safety net for the crisis that will happen is when? before it happens. before it happens. That's why I keep saying to you that that's why you need a church family. You not just show up every once in a while. You need a church family, and not only that, you need small groups. Because, let me me explain explain to you here, I don't care, and it can be a church much smaller than this, last Sunday we had over 700 people here. You cannot know 700 people. I didn't know 700 people. I didn't even know who everybody was. I I don't know it on any given week when I do exit greeting, I don't know everybody, but I do know the 10 or 12 guys that are in my Saturday morning small group. We meet with and we share with together every week. And over the last two years, we're starting to build some relationships that, that's making a difference. And so when we need each other, we can call upon each other and do things. And we, we haven't quite gotten there yet because, you know, it's only two years. <laughs> I had a group in Virginia that I had been, been part of for 11 years. Let me tell you, after 11 years of being with a group of people and sharing life together, I could, I could ask them if they'd only, they almost anticipated when something was going on. And they would be there. So the best time to create these strong relationships is not when when a crisis happens, but even before that. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12, it says, Two can accomplish more than twice as much as one. And if one falls down, the other can pull him up. But if a man falls when he is alone, boy, is he in trouble. Uh, That's kind of my added little part there. Uh, One person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. And having three is even better, for a three-braided cord is not easily broken. See, in shock, one of the things that you need to help you through shock is what? Fellowship. You need people that'll be there. I cannot tell you how many times I've seen that in the life of this church. I know one one small group, uh, two or three years ago, probably three years ago, one of their group members, they had a small group, and one of their group members had gone down to the south side of Peoria where he had some rental property, and what happened was is they... He, he got shot. Don't go to South Teoria in the middle of the night, okay? It's, it's dangerous. But he had to because he was supposed to. And he, and he got shot. And so guess what happened with that small group? They go, let's just pray about it. No, 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 no. I went to the hospital and who, who did I find already there at the hospital? Half the small group. You know what the other half the small group was doing? They were taking care of the kids they had, this family had young kids, they were there, there for them. And it wasn't just that night, it was night, day after day after day after day. They were there for that family because they built a strong relationship when this crisis came. So if you're not in a group, I beg you, I entreat you, is that a word you even use anymore? Uh, to, to join a group. And let me show you how you can do that this morning. Trish and Mike. Trish, uh, um, just Mike. Trish is not here. Okay, Tri- Mike's back there. He's going to be back at the table, right back outside the door, right after the service. And what he's going to do is he's going to have some forms, and what it says is all you do is you fill out the form, and it gives information to us about what day of the week is the best day of the week, and, and what time is the best time to be for you, and what life stage do you consider yourself in? We won't ask you. and um, And what would fit. And then we will connect you. That's all we want to do is get information. And then we will connect you with with uh, the small group leaders of those who fit what you say. And they will, those small group leaders will, they will, they will co- connect with you to invite you to their group, okay? Because you need to start building relationships now. If you're in a crisis, it's not too late it would have been better if you had a stronger relationship than this before. But the reality is it's never too late to do that. Because in the cro- process, you say, well, I thought those were just Bible study groups. No, 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 no. no. Part of the purpose of groups is to build fellowship. And there's four levels of fellowship. Do you know that? It takes a while. That's what I said. Our group, our Saturday morning group is starting to get there. We're starting to do some of the stuff. The first, level is, uh, the first level of fellowship is the fellowship of Sherry. That's when you get together and you're saying, how's your week? And everybody shares about what their week is. That's all right. Sure. You know, can kind I of get to know each other? How's your week? That's the lowest level of sharing. The next level of sharing is, is, is studying, studying God's word together. You know, studying God's word together and being challenged by God's word will draw you closer to God and to each other. That's the next level of sharing, next, next level of fellowship. Fellowship of sharing, fellowship of studying. A deeper level that will help you to grow even closer together is what I call the uh, fellowship of serving. I see groups who who serve and and do projects together and do things together to serve in the community. I see them growing closer and closer together. When you serve together with somebody else, what happens is it draws you closer. That's the third level. But the deepest level of fellowship is what I call the fellowship of suffering. The fellowship of suffering. That's where you enter into other people's pain. That's where you not only pray for someone, but you're there for someone. Like the group I just gave you an illustration a minute ago. And that's the deepest level. And our hope and our prayer is not that you just simply get together and study God's Word together, which is important, but you get to the level of the fellowship of suffering. Because... If you're not going through something in life, that you need somebody, you probably will down the road because our world is broken. That's the first thing. You know, I I was interested, uh, listening to Rick Warren, he lives in California. I've I've only been to California once or twice, and only in Southern California. Up in Northern California, there is, um, interesting there, there is uh, the tallest trees in the world. The tallest living things in the world are in Northern California. you know what they're called? They're called coastal redwoods, uh, sequoias. Uh, there's one type of them, and they're the the, biggest, the sequoias are the biggest trees in the world by, by volume, but the, the tallest trees in the world are the coastal redwoods in Northern California. I found out that they can grow almost 400 feet tall. Can you imagine a tree 400 feet tall? Maybe you've been there to see them. I don't know. I've never been there, so i look forward to someday maybe doing that. But 400 feet tall. But you know the amazing thing about coastal redwoods, 400-foot-tall trees, 300 feet is pretty big too, okay? 300-foot-tall trees, is their root system is not all that big. It doesn't go all that deep. It actually, the root system is more spread out than it is going down. And you're going, how does that work? You know why? Because redwoods grow in groves. And they grow in groves, and their roots intertwine with each other, and they support each other. The only time you'll probably see a redwood falling over is when it is not in a grove. You get the point? I thought it was a good one. You know, the thing is... I don't need a group, I don't need nobody else, because I'm do it on my own. Well, you're going to be like one of them redwoods by itself somewhere. when the disasters of life come, you'll be laying on the ground. We need to be connected with people, and more than just coming on a Sunday morning and sitting in rows. The last thing I want to say to us, if we uh, want to uh, increase our shock resistance, is we also need to grow spiritual roots. We grow deep spiritual roots. We can't be a tumbleweed. I don't. I have only been to Texas a couple of times too. But you know what tumbleweeds are? You've seen them on on, on westerns, right? In movies. You know, you know these kind of things that kind of grow. They have no roots, and they just kind of just blow around everywhere. We need to have if you're going to go through, which we are. Ups and downs of life. We need to have deep spiritual roots. And how do you do that? You need to know what God has to promise to us. You need to know God's Bible promises. And the only way to know that is what? Study His Word. You need to have a connection with God. You can't just do that by showing up on Sunday mornings and, you know, and coming to church. You have to have a connection with Him regularly every day in your life. Where you spend time with Him. You know, I shared before, you know, if my wife, who I've been married to for 34 years, if all I ever did was sorry one day a week for an hour... Will we have a great relationship? Not really. We have to be connected. In Jeremiah 17, verses 7 through 8, it says this, Blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that, are, that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they go right on producing delicious fruit. If you, if, if you want to have fruit, you've got to have roots. Okay? No roots, no fruit. And fruit's the production of, 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 of a healthy tree, continuing to live life. And it says even through the drought. The reality is, is we need to have deep spiritual roots. And in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, it says this to us. It's our last verse. It says, just as you trusted Christ to save you, trust him too for each day's problems. Live in vital union with Him. Let your roots grow down into Him and draw up nourishment from Him. See that you go on growing in the Lord and become strong and vigorous in the truth. If you want to be shock resistant and and go through the ups and downs of life in, in, in a more effective way, you have to cultivate strong relationships and you have to cultivate spiritual roots. So what are you going through right now? What are you going through right now? I mean, I'm hopefully, you know, yesterday in our men's small group, we went around and share, you know, and, and one, of the guy, one of the guys out of the whole group he said, you know, I'm going through some great stuff right now. And we just celebrated. We just said, praise God. But then I, the bummer was we said, well, you know, when, when it gets to the place you need some more prayer, let us know. No, that's not what we said. We do, we do care more than that. But the reality is is that we're going through some things in life, and what is your next step? What do you need to do? If you're going through a crisis right now, and you've been in that crisis for a period of time, and you've kind of not gotten past the the place where you've surrendered it to God and given it to God, you probably need some help. So I would encourage you to talk to a counselor. Pull out the sheet of paper where Dan's address and... Dan, raise your hand. Raise your hand. There's Dan. Okay, right there. Dan Haney. Okay, thank you, Dan. Um, You can call Dan, and and you can set up a time to talk to him to help you through. Dan does a great job with that. I've sat with him with other families and, and been involved in some stuff, and I know he cares. And And if and if you want to talk to anyone, talk to somebody to help you through it. So if that's your next step. Some of you need to deepen your spiritual roots. And you've been centered, kind of sitting on the fence for a long time, and you need to might take a next step as well. And your next step may, may be baptism. And that means that baptism is just a symbol of an outward symbol of something that's happening in your heart but it's simply saying to god it's simply saying to god i want to take this seriously and so next sunday when we do baptisms what you might need to do today is to simply take that welcome card and fill it out and say i want to be baptized next week and we'll connect with you and and talk with you about that next step maybe You you just have a habit of coming to church just on Sunday morning. That's the only time you connect with God at all. Maybe your next step would be to say, God, I want to start a regular time with you every day. And you can start off small. Take baby steps. Maybe just to read one chapter out of the Bible and just spend 15 minutes in prayer. Whatever it is, you know, if you want to build a relationship with God and have deep spiritual rules, you've got to do the things that make it happen. And some of you need to cultivate relationships. And so what you need to do today is go to the table. You need to run to the table today. So Mike, as soon as he says, so, you got to run to the table today, okay? And, and, and run to the table and sign up and get some information so that, because our groups are getting back on board now. Our groups kind of took a break. Most of them did for Christmas and the holidays. And they're getting back involved right now. And you need to do that as your next step because, folks, I want to see you. And God wants to see you go through the ups and downs of life, and he wants to see you do it in such a way that the end result is that the pain that you have, it's not wasted, but God uses it for good because he can, because he can. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your love and your goodness to us. I would ask that you would just enable us this morning, God, to realize that that all of us go through things in life where we get to a place and we're just in shock. We don't know what to do. But God, you have given us other people. And God, if we have a friend who is going through something like that, our first response is to show up and to, and to get there with them and, and to take the initiative and to, and to share their pain and, and, and to do and not to and, and to ask them, "Hey, hey can, can I do this? Can I do this? Can I do this for you? Can I be there? Maybe just to be there and just to." be quiet like Job's friends and just, I don't know if we do it for seven days, but just to be quiet and be there with them. Sometimes that ministry of presence is the greatest thing we can do. God, and there's people here today that are going through catastrophes in their own life, and I know, God, that in a congregation this size, there's got to be people that are going through stuff. We pray, God, that you would just enable us to, if we're going through that, to cry out to you. To cry out to you, God, and then to Connect with you in a way, God, that would just uh, help us to make it through those times. And God, I pray that we would do the next steps we need to take to help us to be more shock resistant to the things that happen in life. That we would see the need to cultivate relationships and that we would see the need to, to, uh, to, to cultivate deep spiritual roots. God, sadly, what happens for most of us is that we have to get to a time where we're at the bottom. Our things, we don't know where to turn. And then we turn to you, God, and that's all right, that's all right, God. But the reality is we'd be much better off if we would cultivate these relationships and we would develop these deep spiritual roots when we're going through the good times. When we're thinking straight and we have the energy to do the things that need to be done. Guide us this morning, each one of us, as we examine our own lives and ask the question, what is my next step for you, God? And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.